Welcome to Jury File. My name is Rona, and this is the Headline Report. We decided since our schedule is completely out of sync anyways, why not have an episode of the Headline Report instead of the Jury Report Report, which we are supposed to be having tonight, because we feel like it. And because there is a ton that has happened. This will be as quick as I can make it, but I doubt it'll be as quick as most of our updates. Um, I wanted to drop another headline report also before our new podcast schedule kicks off this Sunday with our very first episode of Off the Record, a once-weekly episode that highlights one solved case um, from beginning to present or beginning to end, whichever applies. Off the Record will air every Sunday at 11 a.m. Central Time and will premiere that episode along um, with chatting with everybody who's tuning in for it. We're just getting started, so as far as the live premieres on the platforms that allow it, uh, that will be slow going in the beginning, but we're still going to do it. So that'll be 11 a.m. Central Time every Sunday. And this Sunday, our episode will be the case of Derek Roby, the four-year-old who was murdered in Savona, New York by Eric Smith. Eric Smith is due to be released soon, and I think his history is extremely important to talk about right now, and I'll tell you why on Sunday. Before we get into all the raunchiness of the headline report, there's nothing good in the headline report tonight, so we're going to throw something good in there. Um, a case that, or not a case, we're so used to talking about cases, it's ridiculous. Um, we don't we don't talk about anything else around here. Um, anyways, the first sober bar is opening up in Columbus. This is not case, this is not criminal, this is not courtroom, this is none of the things we typically cover, and so we thought we should throw something positive in there because it's been a it's it's kind of been a dark day. Um the first sober bar in Columbus is set to open and the Lantern um, at the lantern.com has a special about it, a special article here. They're set to open in February after a year of planning and development and lots of community support. We're just going to read you here exactly what the article says by the Lantern. The dry mill and also we'll link this below. The dry mill is a sober bar located at 79 South 4th Street that will serve food and non-alcoholic beverages. Um, the owner, David Payne and Colin Thomas, said that they have been friends since middle school and they are both sober after struggling with alcoholism in the past. Um, Thomas said that he went... Um, that said that they want the bar to serve as a useful resource to those who are also trying to get sober. We thought about the things that we didn't have when we were trying to get sober. We didn't have anywhere to go. So we want to give that environment to people. Although the primary inspiration for Payne and Thomas was to give back um, to the sober bar community or to the sober community, Payne said they welcome all patrons. We've had women who are pregnant who are excited to come here. They'll be able to have fun and not worry about getting drinks spilled on them. The drive mill is meant to be more than just a business. Thomas said he and Payne hope to foster a familial environment where everyone feels comfortable and supported. 
Not everyone that walks in the door may need help, but if they need help, they'll have it here. If we don't help them, then we are failing them and ourselves. Although drinking is considered a common activity among people in their 20s, Payne and Thomas said they still believe that a sober bar can be successful among the college crowd. We've had college students reach out to us who are excited about the concept, Thomas said. It can be hard for college students who don't drink, so this is a place where they'll not have pressure to drink. The Dry Mill Facebook page currently has over 6,000 likes. It's, it's not even open yet. Um, this support they have received on social media helped them to continue to pursue their goal of opening the bar. The support from the community is the reason why we're here, Payne said. Our Facebook page suddenly went from 400 followers to 800 in just hours. That really lit the fire. Payne said that he they will use social media to promote special events um, going on at the bars, such as live music, trivia, uh, comedy nights. Although the dry mill is already active on Facebook and, and Instagram, Payne said several of its employees are excited for the bar to also make a name for it on TikTok. Um, the main goal for the duo over the next year is to continue to grow the business, help those who are trying to get sober, um, basically just reach out to the community. Hopefully we can get a bigger space and expand, Thomas said. The end game is to be successful in maintaining the business and helping those who need it. People of any age will be welcome at the dry mill during the day, but individuals must be 18 or older in order to enter at night in order to maintain the bar style atmosphere or environment, they said rather. So anyways, we thought that that was a cool little thing. Um, especially because we cover so many cases where addiction is involved with bad, bad decisions that, that come from, you know, parents who are entrusted with keeping their children safe and protected and meeting their even most basic needs um, are often gone without because addiction plays a heavy role. And people who have never walked through addiction, they really don't understand it as much. And that's really, really difficult. So, you know, it's hard for someone who's never been there to understand why you would make such insane decisions. And even some of the worst addicts would say, I would still never do that. I could still never do this or that to my kid. Um, but I think any addict can appreciate the stance of addiction making. You make just horrendous choices that you would not normally make. So to have more places that you can actually go out in an environment and not have, um, even for, for addicts to not have that temptation right around you, you know, one of the best things they say to do is not surround yourself with the things that you're trying to avoid. And that's that can be very difficult to do. We live in a day and age where alcohol is in every even family restaurant. Uh, it's it can be really difficult to avoid alcohol or you know other drugs even. But this is great, and we love it. We can't wait to see how they do and the future of the dry mill. Um, if you happen to be in the Columbus area and you want to check out the first sober bar in Columbus, well. Go check it out.
Okay, after talking about the sober bar, we have to talk about this. Um, okay, first up, we have Alec Murdaugh. Alec, Alec, Alec. I have a strong feeling that Alec, you thought that this day would never come. But I also have a strong feeling that from the moment you dialed 911 for assistance with your murdered wife and son who are laying outside on your property, you probably began to envision this day and spiraled down the hill to stop what was absolutely impossible to avoid. Alec Murdaugh is a disgraced South Carolina lawyer who is accused of stealing millions from his clients. And with every client who comes forward, we're pretty much learning how far these crimes go back and were committed by Alec Murdaugh. Um, perhaps that is why his lawyers feel the need to say that he had a 20-year addiction to opiates. Allegedly, he is accused of stealing millions from his clients, and no one really knows at this point how far back this could go, if in fact we find out that everything is true. But honestly, right now, Alex's lawyers are not denying his thieving good times. No one's really denying any of the allegations. Sure, perhaps some of the murder investigations, but not the fraud. No one, no one is really denying that at all. Um, but they, they keep saying that he, he had a 20 year addiction to opiates. Now you would think that they might've just said he had an addiction to opiates and you know, this was his downfall, so to speak, but they keep saying 20 year addiction. So is there more to that? Because it seems like there might be more to that. A nod to his lawyer's friends, perhaps. Blame it on the drugs. Make sure they are the typical lawyer-friendly drugs. Alcohol, cocaine, opiates. Might as well be in the legal, you know, legal in the circles of power and money. Um, those drugs are are pretty much rampant in, in those circles. Too much was already adding up, though. There was no avoiding this downward spiral. And even though he made a litany of choices that made this spiral just much faster, I think, um, Mandy Matney was already hot on Alec's trail with a full tank of gas. And Alec was beginning to run on fumes. So he had just enough in the tank to prove her right, in my opinion, to continue on and and not not look back, just uh, his his whole method of how he handled all of this is absolutely insane. Two wrongs do not make a right, so I'm assuming Alec Murdaugh's ballroom of wrongs doing the Charleston together definitely don't make a right. Um, if you've not heard, Mandy Matney is a journalist who has a podcast called the uh, Murdaugh Murders Podcast. Please do yourself a favor and give it a listen, especially her most recent episode that highlights the life of Hakeem Pickney and exclusive conversations with Hakeem's mother. In short, Hakeem was not given an easy life, not to start with and not to end with, but he did not really let that stop him from living his life to the fullest. From what Mandy Matney reported, 
Hakeem was deaf and attended the the um, South Carolina School for the Deaf and Blind. He was the student of the year. He was excelling. But Hakeem would later get into a car wreck that would just absolutely change his life and not not at all for the better. The wreck left him at wheelchair bound and in a nursing home. Hakeem mysteriously passed away and his ventilator was also mysteriously unplugged for an extended period of time shortly after his settlement was finalized. That's that's a problem. A settlement that Pickney's family would never even see. They they never saw a dime of that money, not a penny. Let's take a look at the South Carolina grand jury announcement. This came out today. The South Carolina Attorney General, Alan Wilson, announced today that South Carolina State Grand Jury issued four indictments consisting of 27 new charges against suspended attorney Richard Alexander Murdaugh. Look at that. He's not Alec after all. We actually knew this for a little while, but we uh, we hadn't started using it. But I think we should. I think we should start calling him Richard. These new indictments charge Murdaugh with 21 counts, 21, big 2-1, of breach of trust with fraudulent intent and six counts of computer crimes. Murdaugh, 53, was suspended from the practice of law by order of the Supreme Court of South Carolina on September the 8th of 2021. Murdaugh was previously indicted by a Calaton County grand jury for offenses related to a scheme to commit suicide and defraud an insurance company. Murdaugh also previously was served with two Beaufort County arrest warrants for obtaining goods by false pretenses and remains in custody at the Alvin S. Glenn Detention Center. Murdaugh was indicted in November and December 2021 by the South Carolina State Grand Jury for 48 counts, including breach of trust. He's getting up there with the counts, guys, by the way, just a side note. They're almost adding up to his age. I mean, collectively, they now do add up to much older than his age. For 48 counts, including breach of trust with fraudulent intent, obtaining property by false pretenses, money laundering, computer crimes, and forgery. In the first new January indictment, venued in Allendale County, Murdaugh, he's also racking up the counties, guys. Murdaugh is charged with breach of trust with fraudulent intent, valued $10,000 or more, three counts, and computer crimes valued at $10,000 or more, two counts, breach of trust with fraudulent intent, value of $10,000 or more, is a felony punishable by up to 10 years in prison or a fine in the discretion of the court. Computer crime, value $10,000 or more, is a felony punishable by up to five years in prison and or a fine of up to $50,000. The indictments arise out of an, or out of an alleged scheme to defraud the victims 
in the cases. Um, hang on just a second here. We lost our place. I apologize. It, um, we're still reading straight from the indictment, by the way. In the second new January indictment, venued in Allendale County, Murdaugh was charged with breach of trust with fraudulent intent with more than 2,000 but less than 10,000, 14 counts, and computer crimes um, with a value of $10,000 or more, one count. The indictments arise out of an alleged scheme to defraud the victims of over, or no, of $1,325,000. In the third new January indictment venued in Hampton County, Murdaugh was charged with breach of trust with fraudulent intent valued at $10,000 or more with two counts and computer crimes value of $10,000 or more with one count. The indictments arise out of an alleged scheme to defraud the victim of 350400 or sorry, $350,245.08. I'd want my eight cents from him. In the fourth new January indictment, venued in Hampton County, Murdaugh was charged with breach of trust with fraudulent intent valued at $10,000 or more, two counts, and computer crime valued at $10,000 or more, two counts. The indictments arise out of an alleged scheme to, de to defraud the victims of $398,714.90. Altogether, Murdaugh is charged in the new January state grand jury indictments with respect to alleged schemes to defraud victims of $2,657,016.12. When combined with the state grand jury indictments from November and December 2021, the alleged total is thousand. $944.45. The state grand jury investigation has been conducted by the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, the South Carolina Attorney General's Office, the Federal Bureau of Investigations, and the United States Attorney's Office. The case will be prosecuted by the South Carolina Attorney General's Office. Wow. We'll have a lot more to say about that in an upcoming episode, um, but we definitely wanted to read that grand jury statement because that is big news. Everyone has probably heard already. We'll just briefly talk about it. We're not going to do a, a look back on this case. There are so many people who have followed this case and followed it and followed it some more. We don't feel the need to go crazy. Brian Laundrie and Gabby Petito's case was finally put to rest today. The investigation into Gabby Petito's death is officially closed. The FBI released a statement saying all logical investigative steps have been concluded in this case. I'm just going to really quickly read the actual statement from the FBI about this says, yesterday, the family of Gabrielle Petito met with the FBI at the Tampa field office as the investigation will be closed in the near future. It's not technically closed yet, but it's about to be. All logical, and I think there's also could be some reasoning behind that, but we'll see what happens. 
All logical investigative steps have been concluded in this case, said FBI Denver Division Special Agent in Charge Michael Schneider. The investigation did not identify in um, any other individuals other than Brian Laundrie directly involved in the tragic death of Gabby Petito. The FBI's primary focus throughout the investigation was to bring justice to Gabby and her family. The public's role in helping us in this endeavor was invaluable as the investigation was covered in the media around the world. On behalf of the FBI, I want to express my deepest appreciation to the public for the thousands of tips that were provided during the investigation and to our local, state, and federal law enforcement partners for their work on the investigation. The FBI opened its investigation into the disappearance of Ms. Petito on September 12, 2021, upon receiving reports that Gabby's family um, reported Petito missing. The FBI, working with federal, state, and local officials, organized a search of a remote area within the Grand Teton National Park and Bridger Teton National Forest. On September 19, 2021, the search team located the remains of Miss Petito at the Spread Creek Dispersed Camping Area near where she and Brian had been seen together. Miss Petito was found approximately three weeks after her last known communication. The Teton County Coroner's Office subsequently concluded that Petito died of blunt force injuries to the head and neck with, with manual strangulation. While law enforcement investigated all logical leads, the investigation quickly focused on the last person believed to have seen her, Mr. Laundry. The following is a timeline of the investigation. I'm not going to read through all of that because... Like I said, most of us know the details of this. Um, I will highlight uh, just a, a couple little things here. Um, it does say that on September 15th, Mr. Laundry's Ford Mustang was recovered from the Mabry Carlton Jr. Memorial Reserve. As we know, the Myakahatchee Creek there that was so popular for a long time. Um, on September 17th, Mr. Laundry's parents reported him missing shortly after law enforcement conducted a welfare check at their residence, which is also an interesting tell. A lot of us had that right. Um, Laundry's vehicle was parked and did not locate, or sorry, the extensive search of the park where Mr. Laundry's vehicle was parked and the, it it did not locate Mr. Laundry there. The area where Mr. Laundry's remains were later found was part of the search area, but the area was submerged due to recent flooding at the time of the initial search. Um, we kind of know how that goes from there. The, uh, the interesting thing that people are taking away from all of this is that They've said there will be no further charges at this time. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much to to say about that quite yet. However, um, I just want to say that the the Gabby Petito case was heartbreaking for a variety of reasons, but the Petito and Smith family's response to the tragedy was even <laughs> even more heartbreaking in ways because. 
even though it was kind of a beautiful thing as everyone watched them gracefully march towards answers with an army behind them in the aftermath of it all they 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 pushed forward they're rallying for victims that have found themselves in similar situations and this is truly grace in action but it's also heartbreaking to see the way that the laundry response was during and after. Um, it's very difficult to see them go forward with such grace and be met with such opposition. Um, a round of applause also for the FBI today because they generally irritate my inner peace. But I can even give them respect for thanking the community that helped bring a resolution to this case because in all honesty, Red, White, and Bethune on YouTube saved the day when they uploaded that footage of Gabby Petito's van. This is the type of lead you hope to get when you blast someone's missing person's pictures all over the media and you talk about their case. You hope that that it'll it'll catch. More and more people will talk about it. And the longer you talk about it, the more it goes, the more little pieces you might start to pick up. This is the type of information that is needed. The little details come together to create a picture that law enforcement can then zero in on and have a higher probability of solving a case or recovery mission, even if that's what it has to be. Unlikely, or sorry, unlike many cases we follow where law enforcement tells the public to avoid social media, the FBI at the very least did address the fact that the public was instrumental. And even though the public was aggressive towards the Northport police, the FBI and the Laundry family, the, the recent case we have been following in uh, the missing, the missing girl from New Hampshire, Harmony Montgomery is a perfect example of how this generally goes. Law enforcement did nothing even though reports of abuse and neglect were filed. And now law enforcement wants their community to ignore social media because they claim it will hurt the case. It can't hurt it any more than they already have. They completely ignored it for two years. I don't think you can hurt a case worse than ignoring it. And I understand they don't like being reminded of that every time they log in to share a picture of their own kid. But social media networking isn't going away and neither is the public interest in solving cases and bringing awareness for families. It's it's what is it's what it's about. And it's absolutely disgusting when law enforcement don't understand. Just like in law enforcement, there are good and bad apples. There are good and bad apples on social media. Deal with it. We do. There will always be a true crime community and people interested in solving cases like this. It's not going away, but I will say there was a major lack of reporting on missing person cases since the early 90s, in my opinion. I know there's a lot of people out there on YouTube and, and so forth, but social media initially took over um, around the world for its entertainment value. There's always been a small faction of sleuths and um, interested parties and missing persons, but it really had died down. But the Gabby Petito case invigorated interest. And in my opinion, in a way, we haven't seen it quite like that since the early 90s. 
I could be wrong, but just in my opinion, it's it's great to see the newly invigorated population of sleuths and searchers, volunteers, concerned citizens, everyone who's standing up for victims. The Petito case brought in a whole new wave of interested parties with a variety of skill sets. Um, take advantage of this. Don't don't argue amongst each other. Try to work together on these things, even though if we don't agree about how everything went down or our suspicions or speculation. Just just work together on it. We could get a lot more done. The Petito case brought in all of these new people, and that's really bad news for predators, murderers, and the like. If you're not a criminal, welcome these people because. They will be your friend and your tools. The Gabby Petito case was full of reporting, conjecture, opinion by so many. And I couldn't stand some of the things I read at the time. But it it got the job done at the end of the day. We just happened to not get it done in time, I guess. Um, so I won't be going into all the details. Most of us already know that. An opinion I have found, let's say, odd from the start, though, is about Crystal and Kylan in Utah. So many people say that Brian is also responsible for the murder of Crystal and Kylan. I genuinely hope that sleuths will take action and take this on as a personal challenge to solve this case and find the real killer because that person is still out there. There's pr plenty of um, real conspiracies, real societal issues induced by a skewed system. This is not just, th this is not one of them, in my opinion. So I just want to say we, we salute everybody who took interest on the Gabby Petito case and followed leads like a multi-level marketer, no matter how empty the promises or how far-fetched the theories there were enough people to send a sleuth down every alley at, or sorry, whew, I can't talk today again. Um, but we had, we, we had the opportunity to basically send a sleuth down every alley of possibility. And that's kind of a beautiful thing, no matter how ridiculous, except for the protesters. I really can't condone that. I just can't go there. But by everyone else, I raise a glass. You all represent everything that is right with the world right now. There's a lot wrong, but all of these people, even if they just shared a photo or put something out there, a piece of information at the time, maybe you put out a piece of information that led to a lead by someone else who was in the area, just kind of bask in the finality of this Okay, that's enough. It's time to get to work on Crystal and Kylan now. Just a quick recap on Damari Perry's case. Six-year-old Damari Perry from the north side of Chicago, who was reported missing by his mother, who stated that Damari went to a party with her teenage daughter. She claimed a woman by the name of Monique drove them and that a man was with them by the name of Wacko or Chaos. She said she suspected that her daughter's cocktail was spiked, and when her daughter woke up, Damari was gone. 
In early January of this year, law enforcement was able to kind of piece together that her story made no sense at all. When Damari's body was found in Gary, Indiana, near an abandoned house, things weren't adding up already with her story. Investigators started to hone in on this case more. Gary, Indiana is well-stocked with abandoned homes, businesses, large buildings in general, really, that have been left behind since the 80s. Damari Perry's mother has been officially charged with uh, first-degree murder after a stint at the hospital following her arrest. Apparently, Janny felt ill after the revelation of murder charges. That sometimes will happen. Janny Perry, Damari's mother, was not only... Um, a family, or sorry, yeah, she was not the only family member implicated. Damari's older brother and teenage sister also faced charges for assisting their mother. Janie is now being held at the Lake County Jail in Illinois on $5 million bond after punishing Damari with a freezing cold shower. A lot of people out there are making light of the shower issue with this case, but Damari's death was far more problematic than that one instance. Janie's, uh, there's a lot of talk about the different abuse that, that Damari went through. His mom, Janie, previously had also lost custody of the kids, and they were in state custody for like three years. Damari's first years were spent in foster care. All of Janie's children were eventually returned to her and her two other children um, who are older, one a teen and one a 20-year-old, helped her induce this punishment on Damari and conceal his death. Janie Perry's preliminary hearing is going to be scheduled for February 8th, 2022. Damari's older brother, Jeremiah, is accused of concealing a homicide, aggravated battery against a child under 13, and giving false information. Lake County, Illinois' courts will hear Jeremiah's defense motion on January 26th, and then his preliminary hearing will be scheduled for February 1st of 2022 this year. So we'll continue to follow that, of course. His, his case is just heartbreaking. Harmony Montgomery. We recently reported about the Harmony Montgomery case. Take a look back at our previous videos to catch up on the case if you're not following it already. In the last video, I provided the update that Adam Montgomery, Harmony's father, was allegedly being looked at in a 2008 murder investigation. This is something we had been hearing about, but we couldn't be sure, so we didn't want to report on it too soon. Um, it's alleged that Adam and two other family members were part of the this this murder plot and could be involved. Um, the murder was of Darlin Guzman. Darlin Guzman's stepmother recently spoke to the media. She said, I can't bring my son back. I would say concentrate on the missing child and then we can link the cases together. Talk about a punch to the gut. Reading that text today was so difficult. Can I mean, can you just imagine? I'm sure this mother wants answers. She wants justice. But 
while the world sits and waits for answers about Harmony Montgomery, we criticize the handling of her case, how we find it absolutely horrendous that the fact that she was not even reported missing or followed up on for two years, even with police reports detailing abuse and neglect in the home, no electricity, and the choices to prioritize your drug habit before your children. I mean, all of it was present, all the things, all the warnings. But this woman, she's waited since 2008. That is way more than two years. Granted, we all know her son's whereabouts, and that does add a layer of urgency to Harmony's case. No one knows where she is or what to even expect when they find her. Not a single clue whether she is probably still with us or probably not. There's nothing. But Darlin Guzman's stepmother, she has waited since 2008, 14 years. She's waited 14 years, and Adam Montgomery's victims are starting to pile up. That's very bad news for Adam Montgomery. But she was able to say, don't worry about this. Focus on harmony. Find that child, and then we'll deal with the rest which is extremely level-headed and our our heart goes out to her because that's that's a painful spot to be in. Keep sharing Harmony's photo, keep sharing her contagious smile. We'll we'll keep demanding for justice as much as we can and for Harmony Montgomery who could very well be alive. And for Darling Guzman, a, a man who was shot in front of a white hen pantry, Adam, things are not looking good for you, sir. And Josh Duggar, the inappropriate hugger. Josh Duggar has filed a motion for a new acquittal, or sorry, for an acquittal or a new trial. Well, his lawyers did. I'd love to see him represent himself and file the motions, that would be a content gold mine For creators across the plains of the internet, it would be a beautiful thing. Please, Josh, represent yourself. As we all know, Josh Duggar was found guilty of downloading images and videos of children that no one should ever have the desire to lay their eyes on. Um, Duggar's lawyers claim that the evidence elicited does not support a conviction on either count. Okay, even in the light most favorable to the government, the government failed to adduce any evidence that governed, that Duggar knew that the visual depictions of, oh, what? This is crazy. His lawyer is quoted stating, the government failed to adduce any evidence that Duggar knew that the visual depictions were of a minor engaging in sexually explicit conduct a necessary element for a conviction of both of each count. Wow. His lawyers go on to say that they were unfairly prevented from calling a necessary witness during the seven-day trial. The witness worked at Duggar's car lot, and his lawyers claim that he regularly used the laptop, that the material was downloaded on. Yeah, we knew about that detail, but we don't believe it. 
you know, the same family who after the world found out that their son did horrible things to their own daughters, they refused to allow authorities access to their daughters to so much as interview them. The same family who tried to stop the Holtz from speaking out during his recent seven-day trial, they also tried to use their own influence to hide Josh's horrendous acts for years before he was even an adult. So yeah, we don't, we don't believe you too much. So yeah, we don't, we don't believe you. I don't, I don't think we believe you. It's just our opinion. It's allegedly opinion, speculation, all the things that don't get us sued. But jury file said it here along with everyone else in the free world we don't believe you thank you everyone for tuning in we're going to start out next week hopefully strong with off the record starting on sunday i'm really excited about those actually it'll be fun to look at a case from beginning to end once a week rather than always chasing down um the newest information and vetting details on current cases. It'll be a nice little little break of something different every week for everyone. So I hope that you'll tune in on Sunday, 11 Central Time. If you can't, we'll catch you on the next one, hopefully. And I'll be in the chat chatting because I've not encouraged myself to do a live and it'll probably be a long time before I do because I just have to get there. <laughs> So thank you to everybody who has been viewing the content and focusing on these cases and sharing the victims' photos and and trying to make sure that we keep their names out there. You have a great night.